0: Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 717 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 8th of October 2023 as I record this back in Bath. And yes, as this goes out, writing the shadow, turn your inner darkness into words is live on Kickstarter at thecreativepencom forward slash shadow book. If you're listening in the future, after the 25th of October 2023, that link will redirect to wherever the book is sold. So I hope you find writing the shadow useful. I'll talk a bit more about that in the main section. But in today's interview, I'm talking to prolific author L.A. Witt, who has over 200 novels across different genres and talks about her process for writing, as well as why trusting your writing intuition is so important and how to build confidence over time as an author, as well as how to take days off if you're prone to overworking. So that's coming up in the interview section. So in publishing and book marketing things there is a lot going on and obviously I've been away for a few weeks so all this stuff is happening and I've been looking forward actually to getting back so I can talk about it. So first of all Spotify is moving more heavily into audiobooks. So they have just launched 15 hours a month included in the premium subscription in the UK and Australia with more countries to come with 150,000 titles included. So basically here in the UK and I've got this now as a Spotify premium subscription subscriber, I can now listen to 15 hours a month of audio, which is Already more than I already listen to. Uh, I normally listen to sort of one non fiction book or chapters from non fiction books uh, in a month. And so this is really interesting. Now, authors that distribute with Find Away Voices and Spotify um, now owns Find Away Voices, uh, authors will be paid royalties based on a streaming pool model where revenue is divided proportionally based on consumption. So I'm really excited about this. I have wanted there to be much more audiobooks on Spotify for years. And when they bought Away, I was very excited. And and this is essentially the next step. So and presumably, they're going to roll it out all over the, the world. But this is another revenue stream. But I am more excited about this as a marketing avenue. So there are a new pool of customers who already listen to a lot of podcasts. So they listen to audio content. Now, when I listen to an author interview on Spotify, maybe you're listening on Spotify, sometimes I think, oh, I'd rather listen to the audiobook. Now you'll be able to just click over and find that audiobook and listen immediately. So, for example, Writing the Shadow will be available as an audiobook on Spotify. It will be in January 2024. Depending on when you're listening to this, it might be there already. Um, but also, I'm very excited because the Spotify discoverability algorithm is excellent. So, I went to access my 15 hours and they asked me to select audiobooks I like. So I selected a whole load of audiobooks and then they recommended a number of new ones, which none of which I'd heard of, and several of which I clicked to listen to. And I've always been very impressed with Spotify's discovery algorithm. So I think this is a very good thing. I'm obviously, well, you know, always interested in another revenue stream, but more interested in this in terms of getting listeners and readers into our ecosystem. I still want people to buy audio directs as well as everything else, but this is about discoverability. So, yes, you can get your audiobooks into Spotify and everywhere else if you distribute through findawayvoices.com, which is what I use for my wide audiobooks. Also on Spotify, if you're a regular listener you might remember when I got excited uh, about them buying the AI voice company that did Val Kilmer's voice in Maverick. So the actor Val Kilmer lost his voice due to throat cancer and they um but in the the film he speaks and that is with an AI that did a voice synth. And I've been expecting Spotify to do something around AI for voice for a while since they bought that company. But what they have launched is kind of crazy. They've combined it with AI translation. What they're doing is voice translation for podcasters, which will translate podcasts into additional languages in the podcaster's voice. So, this is really interesting. And so, a podcast episode originally recorded in English can now be available in other languages while keeping the speaker's distinctive speech characteristics. So, obviously, they're starting with big name podcasts like Lex Friedman and Stephen Bartlett here in the UK. Um, but, and they're doing an initial bundle in Spanish with French and German coming in the coming weeks and days. And yeah, now it's not available for everyone. Now, I. Initially, I was always, I always said, yes, I want a voice synth. Then I decided that it would be best to the whole double down on being human. If you hear me, if you hear my voice in English, it is me, human being, recording my own audiobooks and all that, until I tell you otherwise. I might change my mind at some point. But if you hear my voice speaking German, French or Hindi or any other language, Spanish, whatever, any other language other than English, it is AI (laughs) because I don't speak any other language, which I'm always embarrassed about. British people terrible that way. But yes, I'm pretty excited about this because I, I would love to have my content available in lots of other languages. So this is AI translation combined with AI voice synth. Awesome. Links to all that in the show notes. Okay, so in futurist things, well, futurist current, (laughs) Amazon is going even more heavily into generative AI and have invested in Anthropic, the company that have Claude, the generative AI text model that many of us prefer over ChatGPT4, although they both have their uses. So I have a video on how to use the Claude 100k model to analyse your books, write sales descriptions and much more for my patrons. And it's definitely my preferred model for... Uh, imaginative stuff, I would say. Chat GPT, I still absolutely use Chat GPT for the pro version. I use for other things, but yeah, I, I love Claude. I think it's really good, and that is the company uh, Anthropic, who make Claude or own Claude, whatever you want to call it. Amazon has now invested. So the um, the Verge reports. As part of the deal, Amazon will gain minority ownership of the company and has agreed to incorporate Anthropic's technology into various products across its business, including the Amazon Bedrock service for building AI applications. So I mentioned Bedrock back in April, which is essentially on AWS, Amazon Web Services, you can uh, buy AI services, software as a service, uh, but it was mainly available to big enterprise customers back in April. But now uh, it's going to make these models much more cheaper to use at scale, even for small businesses. So, for example, I use AWS and I have done for since the beginning of this podcast. I used to run this podcast on AWS. And uh, essentially, these Software as a service, this AI as a service makes it much cheaper to use at scale. And authors and publishers with big backlists are going to be able to fine tune models according to their preferences. So once more, Amazon is very clearly pro-AI. And uh, yes, and Claude is, as I said, definitely one of, I I basically have my Claude and my ChatGPT and MidJourney. Those are the things I'm using at the moment. Talking of ChatGPT, it is now multimodal. So OpenAI launched this, as in it can now see, hear and speak. So you can talk into it and it will talk back, um, which is going to bring it much more into the mainstream. So we're word people. So we always assume that, oh, typing is fine and reading is fine. But many people, that's just not the way they prefer to do things. So um, and many people don't type or write well. Um they would rather speak or watch. And so ChatGPT now allows images, or at least it will when it's fully rolled out. So you can upload an image or you can talk into it. And this gives lots more ways to use ChatGPT. So one of the examples they have is snap a picture of a landmark while traveling and have a conversation about what's interesting about it. So it can be like a tour guide. But as authors, you can definitely go further. So snap a picture and then ask chat to describe it as a setting for your book or give you a list of plot ideas for that location. I'm pretty excited about doing that. And the voice thing. Well, I'm sure many of you have already tried uh, chat GPT for stories for your kids, um, but doing the interactive voice makes it even more fun because the kids can talk to it and you can all talk to it and you can make a story that way now definitely try it <laughs> so i've only done this with typing but the voice should make it easier to work with and again remember this is all changing so fast and it just i just think what well, how this is going to be in a couple of years it's going to be so embedded in everything we do um, really just considering how much the internet is. I mean, even this, me talking to you now, back in 2020, this was just, no, not 2020, 2000. (laughs) This was not even something I considered as possible. And now here I am talking to many thousands of you and that's just incredible. And that's how I want you to think about this. Think about the opportunities. Yes, there are always going to be difficulties, but let's stay on the side of opportunity. And the folks at OpenAI have been busy because they've also, or they have released Dali 3 and it's about to be rolled out everywhere, which is the next generation of their generative AI for images. And this, again, is a real step change. I mean, even the interview I did with Damon Freeman about AI for book covers just a month or two ago, we said we thought it would be a while before text on an image was good. Well, Dali 3 can do text on an image. (laughs) So... Uh, It can also uh, do a lot more nuance and detail. And people are putting their book covers, like one-shot book covers on various Facebook groups. And it's kind of it's kind of incredible so you can use it right now through Bing create so Bingcom forward slash create um, but also uh, and you can go to openai.com they've got a, a, a press release about Dali three a video about how to use it for sort of kids books that kind of thing uh, you can but what they're going to release and what I'm looking forward to it should be coming out soon as soon as it, it has come out and I've played with it I'll do a video for my patrons but essentially you can uh, through chat GPT plus you're going to be able to like, talk to the image. So, let's say you want a picture of a couple in front of a Scottish castle, embracing, in fact, fr- in front of a Scottish castle. So, a Scottish castle, historical Scottish romance or something. So, you can say, okay, um, now make the castle more gothic and it will regenerate. So, you can just type it, type make the castle more gothic and it will do it. Uh, make the sky more stormy, change the woman so that her hair is blowing in the wind. So, you'll be able to actually refine the image through natural language, none of the sort of various words you need on mid-journey, the prompt engineering. You can just discuss your image with ChatGPT. That is kind of mind-blowing. I'm so excited about that. And as I said, I'll make a video about that for my patrons as soon as I have access, which hopefully will be sometime in October once again let's look for the wonderful opportunities and the potential of what we can create with these amazing tools also i should say on the website it says the images are yours to use and you don't need our permission to reprint sell or merchandise them so it is essentially being released with a commercial license So in personal news, uh, well, I've been away. Uh, Jonathan and I had a hiking holiday in Norway, which was a brain break. (laughs) It was active relaxation. There was a hiking up the mountains and over the fjords. And you really do have to concentrate a lot on where you put your feet in these rocky paths, steep rocky paths in the pouring rain. I must say I love Norway, but it did rain pretty much all the time. (laughs) In the few breaks in the rain, I took some lovely photos, which you can see. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook at JF Penn Author. The highlights, uh, one very beautiful walk to the top of um, a mountain overlooking the fjords and we visited a Viking, well at the end of the Vikings, sort of the beginning of the Christians a stave church uh, again pictures on um, those social media and there were hardly any people there, it was very peaceful and one place we visited Fierland, which was on this lovely fjord uh, is a book town and it, it it was quite weird there's just all these books on bookshelves and it's raining and I was quite worried about these books really but it's this beautiful book town on the fjord and yeah so and I had a hot tub in the rain on the edge of a fjord that is always a highlight for me with a gin and tonic probably one of my favorite things also had sauna uh, got to do that when in Scandinavia enjoy enjoyed that with a view of the fjord so yeah it was a good a good break and I didn't do any writing I did read a couple of books um, but mainly it was active relaxation then back to it obviously I've been working on getting the Kickstarter ready and I and this week I was speaking in Paris and I felt very grateful Uh, I love Paris I've been traveling to Paris since I was 14 was my first trip to Paris uh, in the uh, I guess the Early nineties, and uh, so I've seen Paris change over the years. And right now, it is beautiful. So the Rugby World Cup is on, the Olympics are coming. It's really been cleaned and spruced up, and everything is super. It was just gorgeous. Some pictures from um, Chartres. I went to see the labyrinth at Chartres. If you're <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, it was awesome. Gothic cathedrals all the way. Also visited Montparnasse uh, Cemetery. And the Catacombs. And um, I wrote about uh, the Catacombs, are feature in Crypt of Bone. So I wanted to revisit after a long time to see that. And also, one of my recent short stories, Soldiers of God, was set in Paris. So it was lovely to be back. And I was speaking at Jupiter Phyton's Independent Author Conference. And it was really good. I spoke on AI for Authors, and I was super nervous. First of all, speaking in English at a French conference. <laughs> I wondered if anyone would even show up, but they did and they were very positive. Thank you if you were there and you're, um, you listened to the show and met many of you. And also I was apprehensive as the French are not known to embrace technology early, but it was possibly one of the most positive sessions I've done. People were so enthusiastic, super positive. One guy's face when I said about something, his face just was like, oh my goodness, his jaw dropped. It was a literal jaw dropping moment. And a couple of people said I changed their lives. So it was a really good experience. So I'm thrilled, really enjoyed that. And thanks to Jupiter for inviting me. And yeah, I want to do more speaking in Europe. Um, I do feel like a European, even though I have to go in the other line now, (laughs) post Brexit. And if you're not so up on your geography, well, uh, both Norway and Paris are very short flights from where I live. It's only um, sort of, it was under an hour to Paris from Bristol, which is my nearest airport. And it was sort of just under two hours up to Bergen in Norway. So these are close countries <laughs> to me. Um, so it was really good to get out, get, get out and about, basically. So other things. First of all, my novella Catacomb is in a Halloween ebook bundle. Books from fantasy to horror, from zombies to monsters to fae and more. Check it out for a limited time at storybundle.com forward slash horror. So that is Catacomb is in there with tons of other books, storybundle.com forward slash horror. And of course, (laughs) the big news, hopefully, You know this is happening, but it is finally time to launch Writing the Shadow, turn your inner darkness into words. And I'm actually really glad that I've had this break because I was super close to the book. Um, I I finished the printing stuff the day we went to Norway. the morning sort of I was off at like 5 a.m finishing it by 8 a.m um, getting all the files done so I could do all the shipping costs for the Kickstarter and all this but I was very close to the book before I went away and now I do actually feel enough of a separation to talk about it which is good because this is uh, this is a personal book for sure. So writing the shadow turn your inner darkness into words. if you want to check out the book, have a look at the book um, or you're interested in the shadow writing sessions or consulting, or if you're just interested in seeing the Kickstarter launch process, please head on over to thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book. So yeah, it runs the 9th to the 25th of October, 2023. But that link will redirect to wherever the book is after the fulfillment of the campaign. So after I've sent all the books out, it will be on my store in December at creativepenbooks.com. And then it'll be wide on all the stores in January, 2024. If you'd like the signed hardback with gold foil and black ribbon, it's only available in the Kickstarter as the books have to be specially printed with with those extras. So I am also on a marketing blitz, so I should be appearing on other podcasts that you might be listening to, talking about different aspects of the shadow and also hopefully helping you find some new shows. First of all, I was on Everyday Spirituality talking about the shadow and Jungian psychology with Jim Hazelwood. Now, um, Jim is also known as Bishop on a Bike. <laughs> so he is, uh, he is a bishop and he likes riding his bike and he has a everyday spirituality podcast. Really great to be able to start talking in a... Because, of course, I am not religious. I'm not a Christian, but I, I have a lot of things about religion in my books and I'm very interested in faith. And so that was a great conversation. Also, I've done a couple of interviews on Selling Direct, so the Two Indie Authors podcast. I talk about Selling Direct and mention the Kickstarter, so that's Two Indie Authors, and then also on Becoming an International Best-Selling Author podcast, which is a great title. It's in English uh, with, with uh, German authors who speak incredible English, Andrea and Freya, and uh, I talk about what being an independent author really means so on both of those interviews actually I'm I'm getting a bit punchy about selling direct (laughs) a little bit punchy but hey you know you've got to have an angle Plus, I also wanted to mention Becca Syme has a Kickstarter for the Energy Pennies game and also includes the Antidote to Overwhelm book, which I know many of you might find useful. Becca Becca has some incredible stuff. I'm supporting that Kickstarter. So uh, links in the show notes or just go to kickstarter.com. First, search for Writing the Shadow (laughs) and then search for Becca Syme. (laughs) So thanks for all your emails and uh, comments on the blog and on YouTube and on X and on Instagram and in all the places. I'm sorry if I miss your comment uh, because there are so many places now. I wish there was like one aggregator that could bring all of the comments into one place, but unfortunately there aren't. I suppose I could use a VA for that, but there you go. Uh, I do try to get to all of them. Anyway, on YouTube, so simple 3585 says on Jesse's interview about facing change after injury that was a great episode Jesse is channeling some powerful zen i totally agree <laughs> if that was me i mean yeah jesse is inspirational person for sure for many reasons but this was another reason uh, also, thanks to Julie, who said we're on, we are on—we were on holiday in Paihia, this is in New Zealand, and popped over to Russell and visited the oldest church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, spent ages looking at gravestones, thought you'd like the picture, thank you. And yes, Paihia, wonderful place. Uh, one of the first places I went in New Zealand when I arrived in the year 2000, which is kind of crazy. And also thanks to Thomas Mucha or Toma Mucha, who said, uh, sent pictures from the graveyard in the city of Ch- uh, Chesterchowa. Czestochowa, there we go, <laughs> which witnessed the turning point of the Second Northern War, also known in Poland as the Swedish Deluge, which lasted from 1655 to 1660. More graveyard pictures. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And of course, if you want to see more of mine, go to my Instagram at JFPenAuthor or Facebook and you'll find them from Montparnasse in Paris. So you can leave a comment on the podcast show notes at thecreativepen.com or on the YouTube channel. You can message me on X at thecreativepen with a double N. Um, You can email me, send me pictures of where you're listening. Uh, Joanna at thecreativepen.com. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So this episode is sponsored by Written Word Media, because however you write your books, you're going to have to reach readers somehow. (laughs) And Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick, easy and effective ways to promote your books. You may know them from their uh, email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy, and Red Feather Romance. And I regularly use Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy. Uh, They have five promotional promotional sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over 1 million readers. They have an audiobook promotion site, Audio Thicket, and now they have promo stacking options. This is really good. If you want to run uh, a campaign, you can book multiple sites at once, including The Fussy Librarian, Hello Books, E-Reader IQ, as well as Free Booksy, Bog and Booksy, and do Facebook ads for different genres. So this is so good. It makes it much easier to schedule promotions, getting reach for your books, maybe a first in series, maybe a, a new release. And they also have new in books. They have other... Ways you can promote your books, whatever, most genres and also different um, groups. So, email promotions are priced based on how many readers are in the genre, ranging from $25 to $500. You can also add on Facebook ads. So to help you get the most out of your book promotions, Written Word Media recently launched Premium Membership, which gives authors 10% off book promotions and access to products and services. And I joined the membership as I want to book more slots and it works out more cost-effective for multiple promotions per year. Plus, it reminds me to do it. I don't know about you, but I just... I just forget. It's like here's another month gone by and I haven't done a promotion on this series or that series. So this helps me remember to do it and get better pricing. So visit writtenwordmedia.com forward slash membership to take advantage of the discount or send them an email at info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion will best meet your goals. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. And they especially support the extra shows on AI. And also now I've moved to monthly subscription on Patreon, and uh, which just makes it much more much easier to understand. And if you join, you get the backlist, you get the monthly Q&A, which I do new every month, but also you get the whole backlist. You also get the videos, which are now are on Claude 100K, mid-journey, behind the scenes of my Shopify store, creativepenbooks.com, if you're interested in that, with more to come. So lots of new people, people uh, because I've been away a few weeks so I'm just going to read first names Blaine, Pip, Amanda, Trudy, Stephanie, Laurie, Julie, Kimberly, Dale, Adam, Rebecca, Sharon, Paul, Nicole, Margot, Linda, Neil, Jennifer and Deborah. Thank you to all of you new patrons and thanks to existing patrons and supporters who've been supporting for years and months. You are fantastic. And uh, I will be doing that Q&A in the next week or two and hopefully a video on Dali 3, which I'm really, really looking forward to playing with. Um, I answer a Around 45 minutes of audio, extra audio, where I answer questions about writing craft, publishing, book marketing, making money, AI, everything. And also we're having a meetup at 20 Books Vegas. So if you join the Patreon, you can come along to that. You can support the show with just a few dollars or euros or pounds or whatever your currency is. Just, you know, less than a coffee a month basically, or a couple of coffees if you're feeling generous. You can support the show at patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. L.A. Witt is the author of nearly 200 romance novels and novellas, and today we're talking about her book for authors, Writing Faster for the Win. So, welcome to the show, Laurie. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing and publishing.
1: I mean, I'm kind of the the cliché writer who's been writing since I could hold a pen upright. I always wanted to write stories when I was a kid and was learning for years and years and then the way I I kind of fell backwards into writing romance and into publishing because my husband was in the military and we got sent to Japan and there were no jobs there. I couldn't work and he said I said, what am I going to do? And he said, well, when we got married, you said you always wanted to take some time off and try writing full-time, like six months, 12 months, to see if I could pull it off. And he said, now you have three years. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> and, but, but that was the deal. It was he, he said, I have three years. Don't worry about getting a job. Don't worry about finding some kind of other hustle. He said, just focus on writing. And we agreed that if, if I could get a part-time income going, then I didn't have to get a full-time job when we went back to the U.S., and I mean, I had just gotten out of nine years of customer service, so that was some serious motivation. And it happened that NaNoWriMo was like right around, I think we moved in October, so NaNoWriMo was the next month. And I just said, okay, well, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo to get into the groove. And I thought, well, if I going to plot something in two weeks, a romance is probably, I don't want to say simpler as as in like, oh, they're just simple ridiculous but they are simpler than epic fantasy which is what I was writing at the time and so I threw one together and wrote it and I was like this is actually a lot of fun I'm gonna do it again that was 2008 and it just never stopped.
0: Wow okay so that's interesting you'll write about epic fantasy obviously they're long much longer books but also mm-hmm. multiple characters but do you now write epic fantasy or have you stuck with romance?
1: I, I've stuck with romance and also romantic suspense, but I do still write fantasy. I just, I have one that I'm working on on the side. I just kind of haven't, it's not where I want it to be yet, but I I really enjoyed writing romance. Like when I got into it, I was like, this is actually a lot of fun. And then I again stumbled into writing gay romance and that turned out to be even more fun. So I just said, well, I'm going to keep doing this. And <laughs> 15 years and 200 books later. <laughs> Yeah! Wow. So, how many
0: subgenres in romance do you write in? Then, so you mentioned there the gay romance,
1: but what what else do you have? I've written suspense, science fiction, steampunk. I did a retell, a modern retelling of the Little Mermaid. I've kind of gone all over the place. I again sort of accidentally started writing hockey romance, so now I read a lot of hockey romance. I've written some historical. I've done everything from ancient Roman historical too. I wrote one I've written a thriller set in the in prohibition era New York so kind Mm. of all over the place
0: well I think that's really cool because when some people who I mean, even like thriller, I'm in thriller, uh, Mm -hmm. but there's tons and tons of subgenres underneath. And I think that's really important, especially when you have as many books as as you do. It's like, okay, so you don't just write the same book over and over again. There might be some similar tropes, but there's so many variations within these genres.
1: You got to change it up sometimes. I mean, I wrote a really dark suspense novel back in, I guess it was 2018. I had been doing a deep dive researching the incel community and... That was an awful experience. But I was like, (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the book out of it. And so writing the book, it was just really dark and awful to write. And when it was over, I was like, I need to write something fluffy. And I turned around and wrote, it was an uh, asexual, gay, romantic comedy, just to, to do something different, just as like a palate cleanser.
0: Yeah, I love that. And actually, I mean, talking about writing faster, I feel like you do have a lot more leeway to write in so many different uh, subgenres when you write faster. So you said okay. in the book, you write around 80,000 words a month, which is just credible, <laughs> uh, just ridiculous to me when i this year I've written. Uh, over 100,000 words in the mm-hmm. whole year. That,
1: that pretty much is what I do. <laughs> it's also like when people talk about the word counts, I always want to caution that, yes, I, can, I, I write 5,000 words a day, but I don't have kids. I don't have a full-time job outside of writing. Um, my husband has his own thing. We both have our own, our hobbies and stuff. The only thing I really do outside the house is go to hockey games. So... It, it's a matter of I have a lot more time than somebody who has three kids and a day job.
0: Yeah, but me too.
1: So I yeah. also have, you also I'm have also your, podcast <laughs> your podcast and things going. I have, it, it's just most of the days, it's just me and my cats for several hours. And over time, it used to take me like 10, 12 hours to write 5,000 words. But over the course of 15 years, I can start writing at noon and be done by four.
0: Okay, well, then that's that is the interesting thing. So it used to take you 10 to 12 hours yeah. to do those words. And now it doesn't. So let's get into the the tips, because mm-hmm. you do have some practicalities. It's not just magic that you do these words. So no. what are your tips on the
1: practicality side, the space and the time to write? Uh, the biggest thing with the space and time is to decide this is my space, and this is my time, and you have to guard it. If you tell, like, your partner, I need from 7 to 8 p.m. is my writing time, that needs to be set in stone. Unless there's blood, leave me alone. And, and you have to put that firm boundary down and just say, this is my time and I need to be able to write. Or if you have writing time and somebody's like, hey, can we go out and get drinks? Like, yeah, once in a while, that's fine. But if you find that you're always going and doing something else during your writing time, you're not going to get your writing done. So you have to kind of treat it like a job. But just treat it as something that, that's important and isn't, isn't overly negotiable. And that has to be with yourself, too, not just other people. I have to tell myself, yeah, I'd really like to just sit in my studio and paint today, but I really need to write my words. Or I want to goof off on YouTube for a few hours watching hockey highlights, but I really need to write. <laughs>
0: And I think, like you said, it's about yourself more than anything, because yeah. th- look, there's always things we could be doing. And there's always things that might seem more important in inverted commas. But if those things happen every day, then the exactly. words, the words never happen then.
1: And and it's very, very easy for, you know, it, it becomes a form of procrastination where it, and it snowballs. I, I put it off today, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, suddenly tomorrow is six months from now. And you still haven't written anything. Mm. And so for somebody, you know, for me, 5,000 words a day is a comfortable, sustainable pace. And I always tell people the way you find your pace is take a few days and just write lazy. Just just knock out some words. Don't really push it. Do a few days. See how many words you do on those days. Then take a few days and just pedal to the floor write as much as you can. Push it as hard as you can. And when you're done, look and see how much, what the difference is. For me, if I'm lazy, I can write two, 3,000. If I'm really pushing it, I can write 10,000. So for me, the, the comfortable, sustainable pace is 5,000. Because mm. it's, it's enough that I have to push it, but it's not going to burn me out.
0: Yeah. And, and just, we should emphasize, this is different for everyone. So for yes. me, 2,000 is a pretty big day. Um, and
1: perfectly valid. I know people who 1,000 words is their absolute limit for the day. And that's fine, because you don't want to write 10,000 words a day and then burn yourself out and not write anything for six months. Yeah. Or you can do that. I mean, I
0: always, I, I kind of call myself a binge writer. So, mm-hmm. I do blocks of pushing really hard, like I did recently for my writing The Shadow book. Mm -hmm. And that was really hardcore. And like, like you said, there about pushing yourself. I mean, some days I could, I just felt so dizzy because I was really pushing it. And it wasn't necessarily number of words, but it was just intensity of writing. And now I probably won't write anything for a couple of months while I do some launching and, and stuff like that. So that's just two very different perspectives exactly. Um, but, yeah
1: exactly but, yeah, but it's ba- mostly a matter of not burning yourself out like if, if you're doing it to the point you've burned out and you can't do it or like i've just talked about in my book where your health implodes it, it's really hard to claw your way back from that
0: we'll, we'll come back to your health but let's go back mm-hmm. to when you said it used to take you like 10 to 12 hours and now it takes you a couple of hours so what are the main things that changed in terms of how did you get the same words in less time like what happened
1: I think part of it is I just stopped screwing around because it was really easy to write a hundred words and then go spend 10 minutes or half an hour arguing with somebody on Facebook. You know, there, there was a lot of, I'm going to write a little and then I'm going to slack off and drag. And so there was part of it was just discipline. The other part I think was also finding my voice and finding my groove. It doesn't take me as long to write a scene because I'm just more comfortable with, with, I don't second guess myself as much Mm. and I know I'm much more comfortable with the idea of, okay, I'm going to write this. And if it's not, if it, if it it feels like, like, for example, it feels like the pacing's off while I'm writing it. I just tell myself I'm going to fix it when I go to edit it, it's fine. And half the time I go to read it and the pacing is actually fine. It just feels off while I'm writing it. Mm. So part of it is just developing that confidence to say, I'm just going to push through and I'll fix it later. You know, not I'm going to just throw garbage at the page. I try to to write well right out of the gate, but I don't, I'm not as much of a perfectionist in the drafting phase to the point that it cripples me and I can't write.
0: Yeah. In fact, you have a whole chapter on brackets and placeholders, yes. <laughs> which I love. So can you explain how you use them to get the draft done and then the process of fixing them up later?
1: Basically, it, I use it for things where I, I either, like, for example, if I'm writing a scene with a hockey team, And I just I don't feel like going through and naming all the players yet. I'll just put them in brackets. It'll be square bracket player one, square bracket player two, and that way I can just get the the scene written without sitting there going, okay, what do I name this guy? What do I name that guy? Because sometimes there's, you know, the the teams have like twenty some odd people on them. And it it just slows me down to have to stop and name everybody who's walking into a conversation. So I'll just put them in brackets and deal with it later. Or if I'm writing a scene and I'm mentioning that a care, I'm mentioning like a, a feature of a character, like, and I'm like, I can't remember if this guy's got Brown or blue eyes. I'll just put blue eyes in brackets and then come back and check it later. And that way I don't have to stop what I'm doing and go check my character sheet and be like, okay, yeah, this guy's got blue eyes. And so that way I don't lose my momentum on a scene and I can just keep plowing through it. Or if I have, if I've got a guy, for example, again, a hockey player, cause I read a lot of hockey. Uh, pulling up in a sports car, I'm probably not going to just say it's a fancy sports car. I'm going to say what kind of car it is, but I'll just put it in brackets because I don't feel like looking up what a hockey player of his caliber can probably afford. So again, I just deal with it later. And when I wrote my historical, there would often be phrases where I didn't know, was this word, was this slang used back then? Was this a word that they would have known? Was this something they would have been familiar with? So I'll just put it in brackets And then when I'm done with that scene or done with that chapter, I'll just go through and do a control F to look for square brackets and just replace them as I go. And it sounds time consuming, but honestly it's faster to just go through and sweep them up later than to stop and break my momentum. Every time I hit something I can't remember, or I don't want to deal with yet. That's
0: so interesting. I I have some questions coming off that. The first Uh one is, so that really sounds like you do plot first. And then character. So, and a lot of people always think, oh, well, you must do your character sheet first and you must have all the names and you must, you know. So explain how your process
1: works. Well, I do my main characters first. Like, like I have everything about them. Sometimes I'll have the idea for the story first, but usually as I start with the characters and go from there. So my main characters, I know them very well. But again, like I might be bringing in a bunch of hockey players like they're in the locker room and somebody walks in and says something and walks out. I might not have figured out who that is yet. So it's more of the secondary characters. I just finished a book actually yesterday where a significant issue with one character is his ex. The ex was just a big problem for him and for the life of me I could not come up with a name for the ex. It I just couldn't think of a name so I wrote the entire book with that ex in brackets. It ju- it would just be brackets x. And I figured I'll just think of a name when I'm done. And I was completely done with the book before the guy finally got a name. Mm. But I don't do that with my main characters. The main characters, they do get all their details up front. I just might be in the swing of a scene and be like, wait, does he have blue eyes or brown eyes? You know, just like some detail won't quite click. Or has he been on the team for five years or six years? I just can't remember off the top of my head. So I'll just put it in brackets and deal with it later. And that, that way I also make sure that I don't have continuity errors. Because I'll put it in brackets, even if I'm pretty sure, but I'll double check it just to be absolutely sure.
0: And then the other thing on naming, because so I, in terms of fiction, I've got maybe I don't know twenty five or something at the moment, and Mm -hmm. I'm already I already come up against times when I default to certain names. Just I don't know that that's what's in my head, and. When you get to like two hundred books, how are you naming characters? Or how many bobs have you got and all of
1: this kind of thing? Like, how are you naming people? I've I've made peace with the fact that I'm just gonna reuse names. I I think I've got especially if it's a name I like, I think I have like five or six Scots. I have ended up with um I think I have two Mark or two Julians now. But with that many books, you're just going to end up reusing first names from time to time. I make sure I don't reuse the first name and last name together. right? <laughs> and I try not to do like, if, like if it's two hockey books in a row, I'm going to make sure their names are different. And also at least with hockey, you tend to have a lot of Swedish, Russian, Canadian, and various other players on the team. So it gives you a few more options to mix it up.
0: Mm. So that helps.
1: Yeah. I, I I have websites I go to that, that just list common names for whatever era, And so I'll just kind of look through that. Or sometimes a name will come to me. I'll just have a name right off the bat that I want to use. But most of the time, it's like, okay, what name haven't I used at least in the last 20 books?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I write a lot of multinational books. So I often will go look for actors of a certain age from a certain country, and then combine first names and last names to try exactly. and get something more original. But it's like you said, if they're a bit more monocultural, their their names probably are quite similar in uh,
1: yeah. like Canadian hockey teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and there there's times where like Anna Zabo and I co-wrote, we're co-writing the On the Board series, and at the very, very beginning of the first book, I had my character make an offhand comment about two players. And I just threw some names out there. I threw a Russian name and a Swedish name out there. And I was like, okay, they're just going to be other players. Well, then Anne got to their chapter and said, I'm going to make them kind of major characters. Well, those characters ended up getting the next book. (laughs) So (laughs) it was just two throwaway names and then they end up being the main characters of the next book, so.
0: Yeah, oh no, that's interesting. So you also said in the book, I'm a vague, flexible outliner who rarely writes exactly what I've outlined. So talk a bit about your outlining process.
1: Basically, I, I make sure that I've got the inciting incident. How do things get started? How do they? How do the two characters or three characters end up in each other's uh, orbits, and kind of figure out if it's a suspense. If it's suspense, obviously you need to figure out that the suspense plot. What is the crime or what is the the thrilling thing that's happening? And I tend to figure out the main beats throughout, like the big twists and the big revelations. And I tend to just get a fairly vague timeline of what's going to happen. Mostly because I write out a sequence, I need to know what happens before something else. I just need a timeline. But a lot of times while I'm writing, like I skip ahead to chapter 18 and realize, oh, hey, if, if this is going to happen in chapter 18, I need to have X, Y, and Z happen first. So I'll skip back and put those in in some other chapter. So I tend to have a a solid outline but then I just keep adding to it as I go. Or sometimes I'll realize, wait, I don't actually need these scenes and I'll just cut them and refer to them in passing. So Mm. I tend to change it a lot. My, my rule is that if the characters in the outline disagree, the characters always win. Because sometimes I realize as I've gotten to know the characters more, I'm like this scene that I've got planned, that's not how they would do things or this plot twist. That's not how, how it would happen with these characters. And so the outline will change to fit the characters and, I just have learned to, to not try to shoehorn a story into the outline, if that makes sense. So is that just a, like a
0: document, like a couple of pages on a document?
1: It's actually an Excel file because I keep track of word counts and I, divide, I I don't write in one document. I have multiple, like each each chapter is its own document on a word file. So I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of the word counts in each chapter and each chapter has a line describing what happens here. And which sure. actually makes it really easy to, to update the outline because I can just move things up and down on Excel. Um, it it probably doesn't work for a lot of people, but it works for me, so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, definitely it wouldn't work for me. But um, yeah. <laughs> what I did enjoy was hearing that you write out of order because I also do that. And I feel like some people think that's... And I'm a discovery writer, so I, do, I don't plot. But talk about how you write out of order and then weave everything together later.
1: I... I tend, I usually will at least start with chapter one. Like when i start writing, I'll at least start with the opening chapter because that gives me a feel for the characters and gets things going. But sometimes I'll, I'll, it's not so much that I hit a wall, but I hit a scene where I'm like, I'm not quite ready to write this one yet. I don't have a feel for this scene, but there's also a scene later in the book that's really nagging at me and I really, really want to write it. So I'll just jump ahead and write that one because then that one shuts up. And a lot of times as I skip ahead and write other scenes, I'll start to figure out what it was in the earlier chapter that, that was making me stall. Like, I think I'm a little bit of a discovery writer in that sense where, yeah, I have an idea of what's going to happen. But when I jump ahead to chapter 20 and I start exploring this situation with the characters, suddenly I'm like, Oh, now I see what was missing in chapter four. And then I go back and write chapter four and it works.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think about that as a sort of story intuition. Yeah. And it it sounds like you've kind of combined the, the outlining with the intuition with the, you mentioned it earlier, the sort of your confidence in your voice. So how do you think, because I mean, you've obviously got this at this point in your career, and I definitely feel like I'm there too. But there'll be people listening who are like, I don't even know how I would trust that. So how do you think authors can lean into sort of trusting that confidence and finding their voice and leaning into that intuition?
1: I'd say just try it. I mean, for me, I stumbled into it. I was working on a book, there was a scene that was nagging at me, I jumped ahead. And I was like, you know what, this is actually kind of a fun way to do it. But a lot of times, it's just, you just try it. Because the worst that happens is you have to go back and rewrite something. Like, nobody's going to come and take your book away. Nobody's going to say you can never publish this book. You know, the absolute worst case scenario is you have to go back and fix it. And I think when you learn to be confident in your ability to go back and, and fix it, it opens up, it gives you a lot of freedom. It opens up a lot of doors to be able to just, I don't, I have no idea if this scene's going to work. I have no idea if writing out a sequence is going to work. I have no idea if just winging it is going to work. When I wrote my historical it's a historical romantic suspense and it was a pretty complex layered plot. And I only plotted, I only outlined it about halfway through. And then I I hit a wall when I was outlining it. I just didn't know where to go. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just dive into writing it. And I'm going to just hope that the rest of the story kind of reveals itself while I'm writing the part I've already outlined. And it did. Um, and it's actually, uh, of all the books I've written, it's probably easily in the, my top five favorites. And I was I was writing that completely, like, blind as far as the, the second half of the book, because I hit, I just hit a wall outlining it. And I think there was a time when I would have said, I can't finish this until I finish outlining it. But I've, over the years, I've realized that I trust myself enough to know that I will come up with a way to, to finish the story. I don't know what it is yet. I have no idea, but it, it'll come. And it did.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of things on my wall. And one of the things I have is trust emergence. Exactly. Which, yeah, which is at some point, these things do emerge and they might come from some research. They might come from something else we're reading or we're watching a TV show or y- you just don't know where it's going to come from. But you you kind of just have to trust that your story brain, your story intuition is going to exactly. help you.
1: It's sort of like if you're writing a conversation with your character and, and one of them says something and all of a sudden the whole book falls together. I've had that happen before. Mm. Like, oh, yes. that was the missing piece. And I've gone to sometimes friends or co-writers, Anna Zabo, my, one of my co-writers. I've frequently gone to them and said, I am completely lost with this book. Like, there's something missing and I can't find it. And I'll just kind of give them a summary of what I'm doing. And, and they'll say, well, what about X, Y, and Z? And it, the whole thing just falls together. You know, so sometimes getting some outside help helps (laughs) having a beta or a co-writer or somebody that you can ask, but also just trusting yourself, having that, that intuition that you've done it before, you can do it again. And I've, since the pandemic, I taught myself to paint.
0: Mm. And
1: during that time, one thing I've learned and I've seen in a lot of tutorials is that every painting goes through the ugly stage. Like there's always a point where it just looks like it's just awful And you just look at it and go, I've made a complete mess of this. And you have to learn to push through and trust the process and and it'll get past that phase. And I think books do the same thing. They hit a point where it's like, what in the world am I doing? I've completely borked this entire plot. Nothing's working. And you just have to trust the process and push through. And if it doesn't work, that's what editing's for.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or or you just have to take a step back I mean I often find because I'm discovery I I often find that around sort of 25,000 words I go I don't even know what is going on and I have to kind of print out what I have and read it and then I'll be like oh look at all these open questions now I know how to carry on and as soon as you know the next tiny step then the rest kind of sorts itself out doesn't it but I, it's really hard for people i know some people listening are like but how do you know that this is going to happen it's like well you just kind of have to trust that it will
1: <laughs> yeah and i do the same thing i'll, I'll hit, usually for me it's about 40 percent um print it all out and then it's like oh right there's this piece and now it all works and it every single time like i know a lot of writers have that fear that they're not gonna do it they're, they're afraid to trust the process and i'm like I'm almost 200 books deep in my career, and every single book, I still hit the point of, I have made a complete mess of this, and it's a disaster, and there's no salvaging it. Every single book. <laughs> and and every time, eventually it does come together. Some take more work than others. I just released a book last month that took me five years and three complete drafts to finally get it right. And actually, that was one where I asked Anna Zabo, and they found the missing piece for me. But it just took a long time. My editor and I went around and around with it, and it just didn't want to work, and then it finally did. But they all get there eventually. and And even after all this time, it still happens, and every book I still think, I've completely destroyed this thing. And I never do. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, well, there's, there's something salvageable, even if it takes too long. But I did want to come back. So earlier, you did talk about burnout. And you do talk about this in the book. And of course, being prolific is only one measure of success, but uh-huh. your health is far more important. So tell us about that burnout period and, and how you're managing things now.
1: Basically, what happened is in it was back in 2014. And I found myself this was when I was still working predominantly with publishers. I had deadlines stacked on deadlines. And I had a bunch of stuff I was working on with co-writers, and I, I just hit a wall. And I was like, I cannot keep going. I'm burned out. The tank is empty. And I was, I mean, it, it was like getting hit with this really horrible depression where you can't even move. And I, I was like, I'm I'm just done. I can't do this. But that was, I think, I want to say it was in like April when this happened. It was like March or April but I still had deadlines through the end of August. And I think that was like five books. And the only way I was going to get past them was to get through them, which meant that I hit that wall, but I still had to finish five books. And I did. And it just happened that I finished the last book. And then I went to a big conference and I got the con crud there because it was a huge, I think it was the RWA conference in 2014 and it turned into pneumonia almost immediately. And I, I had pneumonia off and on for about four months. It couldn't function, couldn't write. And which then, of course, meant all my other deadlines started snowballing because I couldn't keep up with them. And I finally just, my, my health pretty much just imploded. And I, I had to take a step back, cancel some deadlines. And it took a good year to, to completely recover from that. And I was still having health problems as a result as late as 2022. Like it, it held on that long. It was almost like having long COVID, except it was pneumonia. It was just this thing kept hanging on and hanging on. And all because I pushed myself so hard that my immune system imploded. And that was when I learned, you know, I have to balance it. You have to take time off or your body will take it for you.
0: Mm. So how do you do
1: that now? I force myself to take days off. one of One of the reasons that I keep track of my word counts on my spreadsheet is if i If I sit down at my desk one day and I'm like, I really don't feel like working, I'll look at my spreadsheet, and invariably it's been a week since I took a day off. And so, take a day off and, and paint. Honestly, it it actually has helped that uh, my husband and I we have season tickets to the hockey team, which means that there's at least forty nights a year where I have to stop working by four. And we go out, we get out of the house, get off the screen, go do something that's not writing. And that's been a huge help for my mental health and and balance, just forcing me to get off the computer and get out of the house.
0: Mm, I think that getting out of the house is the key. I'm exactly the same. And I know I'm a workaholic. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty. In a different way to you. But I mean, as in I, I do work all the time and obviously there are... Lots of wonderful things about having kids and also wonderful things about being child free. And I love being child free, but equally, there is, like you said, there's no distraction. If you want to work all the
1: time, you pretty much can. (laughs) Exactly. And during the pandemic, it was especially bad because I had nowhere to go. I couldn't leave Mm. the house. And we lived in rural Maine for the pandemic. We didn't have a social circle there. My husband was still working because he was essential. So I was pretty much home alone writing all the time. And and I had to be very, very mindful of not burning myself out during that time, because I still remember what happened in 2014. And I didn't want to do that again. But I I have to be like proactive about it. I can't just be like, "Eh, I think I'll take a day off. I have to say, no, I've worked X number of days in a row. I'm done. Like I just finished a book yesterday. And I was kind of on crunch time with it. So I worked several days in a row. And I'm actually taking this week off because we've got a hockey thing this weekend, but I'm going to take the next couple of days and just paint and kind of goof off just to recharge a bit.
0: Mm, yeah, I do agree with you. You almost have to organize the time. I, I have to schedule off time. It exactly. can't just be, oh, don't work today because there's always a thing. You know, I could always come into the office and do something.
1: <laughs> and it's super easy to to not realize, like, like I'll say well, I'll just take a day off when I feel like it. Mm. And invariably, for there was like three or four years where I would just hit a wall and be like, I can't write today. I seriously can't. And I go look at my spreadsheet and, oh, it's been 21 days since I (laughs) took a day off. That's probably the problem. (laughs) And it took me a couple, like a few years to learn to just not let it get to that point.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Because I presume you're not a person of faith, because yep. no, and I'm not either. And I feel that people who go to church, obviously, this is nothing about the God side. This is about people who go to church have a um, active way to manage their time away from the desk.
1: <laughs> oh, I agree. And, and also because I work at home and because I don't have kids and for a long time, up, up until a couple of years ago, my husband was military. So he was on a weird schedule. Um, I have, I could not tell you what day of the week it is. For the yes. last 15 years, I have no idea what day it is. So there's no such thing as a weekend. It, it's only been since my husband retired and is working a regular job that, oh, there's a weekend. There's there's two days off every day or every week for normal people. And I've kind of been able to to fall into that. But for a long time, I just didn't have anything to, t- to signal to me, well, you could take today off, it's Saturday.
0: Yes. And then figure out something to do on that day off. I think that that's also a key. So glad you took up painting. I definitely yeah. need I need I tend to go walking like walking is a big thing for me. But I have thought about some other things too so yeah i find that really interesting but let's just come to some business stuff because uh-huh. we could talk about this for ages but oh, yeah <laughs> i'm very interested because you have turned your books into multiple streams of income okay. so you've got um direct sales on payhip and shopify you've got translations you've got large print And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I struggle because I have 45 whatever books and but in loads and loads of different formats. And I know how difficult it is to manage all of the sort of the back matter and all the stores and all the stuff. So how do you manage that side of having such an enormous backlist?
1: I mean, I can't necessarily say I manage it well. (laughs) um, A lot of it, like I use Vellum for formatting, so it doesn't take very long. Uh, earlier this year when I decided to, to pull out of Kindle Unlimited, I decided that was also the time I was going to go and reformat everything and put new back matter on everything, which meant doing it for about 450 books because mm. when you figure in all the translations and everything, it comes out to about 450 and I just took a few days and that was all I did. Was just put a book in vellum, put new back matter on it and it was the same back matter in, in all of them and then went and uploaded them. And, um, And like putting them wide or or on the putting them wide took a few weeks. I would basically pull like twenty or twenty-five books at a time from Kindle Unlimited, put those wide, then pull twenty or twenty-five more. And I'm still learning how to market wide because I've been in Kindle Unlimited for so long. It's it's a whole new world. So I'm still learning how to do that. I just recently started doing direct sales. I'm still populating my Shopify store. It's it's been mostly a matter of just doing all the logistics of the formatting and uploading and listing everything and I haven't really gotten to the marketing side of it yet but no I I don't have any assistance or anything like that I do it all myself Mm. so
0: yeah I know serious RSI right with all the clicking
1: oh god (laughs) yeah I I was I was having I was dreaming about Vellum like when I was dreaming about Vellum I was like it's time to take a couple days off
0: yeah I mean I've been doing the Ingram Spark, the change to 40% discount Uh which is one of those again it was every single one of my books and all these different formats and I I had a thing every day it was like okay this is the half an hour of Ingram updates (laughs) section and I would just have to go and do that and but this is uh, and again people are like why don't you just outsource this and I knew that at the same time I wanted to kind of check other things on the books. So I feel like that's sometimes why we do it ourselves and not just outsource, but uh, do you work with any assistants or you, I guess you've mentioned a co-writer?
1: I do have co-writers. Uh, I work with Kari Z and Anna Zabo pretty regularly. And so we'll split a lot of the, the labor. Like Anna does our formatting. I do our cover art. I list our stuff on, on my various accounts and handle the royalties. And then with Kari, uh, I do the cover and the formatting. She does a ton of the editing. So we, we, balance a lot of that stuff out but with my own stuff most of the stuff i do is my own i tend to do it all on my own i hire editors narrators translators but i do cover and formatting on my own and all the uh, all the administrative stuff i do on my own every time i've thought about hiring an assistant or someone it honestly comes down to it's going to take me longer to train them than it does to do it myself
0: (laughs) no no, it's really just that we have a control freakery problem
1: there's that too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I, I have hi- hired out for my website in the past, but I have to update my website so frequently that yeah. I need to be able to to update it myself. And obviously no web designers are going to let me do that. So I either need them to be on call 24-7, which is totally not reasonable, or I need access to it. So the solution is to do it myself.
0: Mm. No, I, I'm the same. And I've certainly always said to people, you should do your own website because like you say, we update lots of things regularly yeah. so you need to know how to do that but interesting you said there you came out of KU um, yeah. but you'd been in that a very long time and of course that is a very personal decision and we're you know people listening you make your own decision but I am interested in why you decided to do that.
1: The primary issue was that I saw a lot of people reporting that they'd had their accounts terminated for a lot of times erroneous reasons and it was even the ones that were able to get their accounts restored it took weeks to do it they lost a lot of money and algorithms and i just realized that i've had my account threatened so many times over violations that weren't actually violations that i was it was too big of a risk for me i've actually had them threaten to terminate my account before and i was worried with it as with as aggressive as they were getting about shutting down accounts i just decided that it was time to, to get out and lower the risk. And so I, over the course of about six or eight weeks, I pulled all but I think three titles off of uh, Kindle Unlimited.
0: Mm, I haven't made that switch because I've never been in it. But from people I've heard from, it is a bit of a shock. Because as you say, you have to learn how to do different ways of selling to different stores and it's not the same way of marketing, not the same income stream. So how have you adjusted to that and, and what are your plans in terms of trying to ramp up sales elsewhere?
1: Fortunately, I had, our, I did already have like a draft to digital account I because I had been experimenting with moving a few titles wide and I did have some titles that like were part of a multi-author series and we all agreed to go wide. So I had a handful of books that were already out there. So I at least already had a hand in it, but then I had to, like, I got a Kobo account, I got a Google Play account, and started just learning how to use those. I joined a bunch of groups on Facebook where people were, were talking about how to go wide, and fortunately, uh, translations do very well, at least in my genre, they do very well on Kobo and Tolino, so... The the drop in money from Ku was almost completely canceled out by the increase in money from translations being sold wide. Mm. So it it ended up leveling out pretty uh pretty quickly. I'm still still learning how to market. Like I'm starting to release books wide instead of on Ku, and it's just a, a learning curve. And I'm still do, still learning how to do direct sales. So.
0: Yeah. Well, aren't we all? Well, it's interesting. What what languages are doing well? I mean, obviously, German, you mentioned Tolino, which if people don't know, is the German ebook reader. Uh, any other languages doing well through Kobo? Uh, French, for-
1: French and German both do very well for me. Italian doesn't do as well, but I still have strong enough sales there that I have a translator who is, she's always translating something for me and just over time have built up a backlist in Italian. Uh, but French and German have definitely been my strongest. Mm. especially on Kobo
0: Uh, okay yes because they have a a strong partnership there in France Um, so it's interesting and we're almost out of time but Romance is well known to be the niche where you can make the most money and a lot of the biggest earners come out of romance but it's also incredibly competitive uh, and new authors coming in are like well you have 200 books like how can I compete against you and all the other romance authors who've been doing this so long. So if people are coming in now and they want to write romance what are your recommendations now? If if you were just starting out, what would you be doing?
1: Particularly, in, I mean, I uh, I know more about the LGBT romance genre than the hetero romance genre. In in LGBT, my biggest recommendation by far is to get involved in group projects, and a lot of people are doing anthologies, like the buy-in anthologies. I haven't done any, any of those, and I haven't really had success with anthologies, so I'm not going to say I don't recommend them, just that they haven't worked for me. But there are a lot of people doing group projects like Shared Universes, Joint Series. I did a series a few years ago. It was the Bold Brew series where all every book somehow related back to this coffee shop. And like all the books in the series had <laughs> coffee-related titles. And uh, I did one called Blue Water Bay uh, about 10 years ago where we had a town. And it was this little tiny town on the Washington State Coast. And they were also filming a TV series there. So your book could just be part of the town. It could be part of the TV series. And I think we, I want to say we had like 15 authors involved in that one. And whenever I've done group projects, like I'm doing, I'm actually doing one right now. I'm working on a a hockey project. We always try to get in some big name authors, but also some new authors, some midlisters. We try and get everybody in and that way everybody's marketing each other. And you do tend to get a lot of, um, uh, You'll see a lot of reviews where people will say, this is my first book by so-and-so, or I'm a big fan of, insert popular author in the group, so now I'm going to go read the rest of the series. That, that's been the biggest thing I've seen, because there's a the big vibe of the rising tide lifts all ships. Hmm. So a lot of people will will try and get a mix of new and established authors into a group project, and then everybody promotes each other. Just did one a few months ago. It was the Carnival of Mysteries. It's like this paranormal carnival series, and we've got all kinds. I think there's like, I want to say there's like twelve books in it by now, all all across the board, new and old authors, and it's been a really good promotional thing for, especially for the new people.
0: Yeah, I, I love that idea. But how do people find those opportunities? Is it a case of going to conventions or joining Facebook groups, or how do they find that kind of opportunity?
1: Sometimes it's uh. We'll have group. There's a lot of groups on Facebook for at least in my genre. They'll have groups that are for people within our, you know, authors within our genre, authors helping authors, things like that. And people will post, "Hey, I'm doing a group project or whatever." Or one of them annually puts up a thread that says, "If you're willing to do a group project or you're hosting a group project, put it up here, and we'll all kind of communicate that way." Or sometimes an author will reach out and say. Like, like when I started doing my hockey project, I went and found everybody I knew of who wrote hockey and or who was into hockey, like an author who was into hockey, but maybe hadn't written it and said, would you be interested in joining this project? So sometimes it's invites, sometimes it's through groups. Publishers have done them. Uh, they'll put out and say, hey, we're getting authors together for this group. Uh, submit something if you want to. Serena Bowen actually did one. I want to say it was like three years ago with her True North series, she said she was allowing people to write within her True North world. And so she just opened it up to submissions and we would submit a synopsis and what we wanted to write. And that was a huge series. I think there was actually four sub series, there was like a a wine bar, a university, a hockey team. And there was a bunch of authors in that. And then they ended up doing a second spinoff of one of them. So I ended up submitting two books to that one. But that was just she opened it up and took submissions for it
0: right so join some email lists, join some groups network yeah. with other authors and people are, are very open aren't they to helping yes. others we all started with nothing so
1: and my yeah. genre I've noticed there's a lot of support for new authors you know a lot of authors are shy about meeting the, the people that are already established and they as soon as they start talking to people they realize we're all even those of us that have been around for a while we're still the ones who get starstruck by our own fans we're still <laughs> kind of can't believe we're doing this and we'll go to conventions and, and they'll be on a panel with some of us that have been around for a while. And we're like, we're, we're just authors just like you. We're just readers just like you. You know, it's all good. And you start realizing there isn't really this elitist, you know, oh, you're below us. You can't be part of our group. It isn't as clicky as as some people are afraid it is. And a lot of times if, if you just put it out there, I would really love to do a group project. I'd, I would really love to do something like this. People catch wind of that but yeah. yeah get involved in groups get involved in author groups within your genre and you'll you'll find your kind of your own community
0: fantastic so where can people find you and your
1: books and everything you do online my website is pretty much the the hub of it all it's www.gallagherwitt.com and my instagram and twitter are also Wit, and i'm on facebook as laurie Wit. fantastic thanks so
0: much for your time laurie that was great thanks for having me So I hope you found the interview with Laurie interesting and regardless of whether you want to write fast or not it's always useful to learn about other people's routines and challenges because we all have challenges and also consider how we might improve our own creative routine. So coming up later this week, I'm going to share a few chapters of the audiobook narrated by me of Writing the Shadow, Turn Your Inner Darkness into Words as an in-between episode. And the Kickstarter is live, 9th to the 25th of October, 2023. Go to thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book, and that link will redirect if you're listening in the future. So next week, I'm talking to Linda Lappin about writing Soul of Place. So back to craft and setting is uh, definitely one of the things I love. So in the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at thecreativepen or find me on Facebook at thecreativepen. See you next time!